Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthian, chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 158 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise, by human standards. Not many were powerful, not many were noble, of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you were here last Sunday, we heard one of our sisters in our church family tell her story 
And if you'd like to, if you missed it, you can easily go back and on our website and look at the service from last Sunday. But Sally Lim, before she shared her story, she prefaced her words by saying, my testimony is not flashy. In fact, it's very boring, or something like that, she said. And if you heard her story and you really listened to what she's saying, you could understand why she would say that. You can understand why she would say that, because in many ways she was saying that in our culture, we prefer stories that showcase human triumphs. We prefer stories that show human beings climbing the tallest mountains, swimming the biggest oceans, plummeting the deepest seas. We like rags to riches stories, stories of people going from prison to the penthouse. Something about us. We extol humanity's power to solve problems. And, and, and in many ways, we're made in the image of God with creativity to solve problems. Maybe that's why we believe so strongly in human capacity. That over time, we believe that science will unlock the mysteries of all diseases, eliminate world poverty, and that'd be a good thing, and scarcity in the face of rapid, rapid population, global population growth. There's a song that I, I love to hear when I'm working out sometimes, sung by the Australian pop singer, Sia. And she says, I am titanium. You shout it out. You shoot me down. But I get up. I'm bulletproof. Nothing to lose. I'm titanium. And um, it's a great song. But is it really true? Are we titanium? Are we truly invincible? And riffing off our text this morning, the wisdom of our world would say yes. There are no limits to human capacity except the limits we impose on ourselves. But the shadow side of such a logic is the slow elimination of transcendence and the reliance on God and the need for God. Because if we are titanium, if we are invincible, if we have the capacity to solve any and everything, why God? Then you check out the Christian community. In contrast to such thinking in the Christian community, we would say that when a person turns to God, that that in itself is an invasion of the reality and the power of God into our world and into that person's life. We call that a miracle. That's God breaking into our world, breaking into our lives in such a way, and if we really understand what it means to be followers of Jesus in such a way that we are careful with how we use our own power. We recognize that there are some things that only God can solve. So when I read this text, and the way we start the reading at verse 18, what isn't clear is, what is it Paul's trying to solve? What is he responding to? 
And if you know the flow of 1 Corinthians, he's responding to a variety of problems. The first problem that he's responding to is the problem of division in the church. The Christians in Corinth, they wanted to influence their culture. And I think that's a good thing. We want to influence our culture. But the question is, what methods should we use? What strategies should we use? What's the brand? What kind of leaders do we need? What kind of people will God choose to use? And I would say it's very difficult, and I think you're already feeling the pressure. It's very difficult to be the church of God in the world and not be influenced by the surrounding culture. And I think this is what was happening to the church in Corinth because they were placing high value on human wisdom and human eloquence and their culture, the Greek culture, the Roman culture, would have lauded rhetoric, would have lauded eloquence. And so the Christians in Corinth thought naturally that they should find people, choose people, use tools that will appeal to the masses. I mean, if we're going to reach people, we've got to use the tools that will appeal to the masses. And so they were looking for a worldly, wise preacher to lead their church. And I think this is where the conflict started. They split in four different directions. And one group said, we want Pastor Paul. We want Pastor Paul. Another group said, no, we want Pastor Peter. Another group said, forget those two. We want Apollos. Have you heard him preach lately? He is the most eloquent. He is an evangelist. He will wow you with your words. And still another group, maybe this is a more spiritual group, said, we want Christ. And Paul pushes back. And he says, no, guys, relying on human words, relying on human wisdom or cleverness in speaking is not what we should do. He warns them that such a philosophy, such an over-reliance on that Greek way of thinking, will yes, it will draw people, but it will draw people to the preacher. It will draw people to the church, but will it draw people to God? Will they walk out of here saying, what a mighty God we serve, or they, will they walk out saying, what a great musician, what a great singer, what a great eloquent preacher? Using such logic, Paul is saying to them, will nullify the cross. Instead, I think what he's offering to us is that the tools that God wants them to use, the tools that I think God wants us to use in reaching our culture is the message of the cross. And it may sound boring, but Paul is saying, yes, it will change people's lives. So Paul says to them, put your trust not in human devices, but in what God has done in Christ. Relying on the world's methods to reach people, to grow the church, will cause us to transfer our trust from God and the Holy Spirit to human wisdom and human ability. And I think what today's reading is doing, it's confronting the very source of their conflict and their division and Paul offers to them, in my reading of the text, he offers to them two big ideas, two big ways to move the church forward in a Godward way. He says to them, I want you to use God's methods, 
And I want you to celebrate the evidence of what the gospel does in changing people's lives. Use God's methods. God's method is to proclaim the gospel. Notice if you have your Bibles open, and I'll read that text to you again. And he admits it. He says, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And the word for foolishness in the Greek is a word from which we get the word moron, moria, moron. The world will call you, will call Paul, will call the Corinthians churches, will call people here at First Pres, you guys are morons, you guys are anti-intellectual for believing that God can actually save human beings through the message of the cross, the good news of the gospel. And you'll notice what Paul does. He divides humanity into two big groups, the Jews on one side, the Greeks or the Gentiles on the other side. And he says the response to that message is really interesting, he says. Notice this. We proclaim Christ crucified, and he introduces a new word, a stumbling block, a scandal to the Jews on one hand, and moronic foolishness to the Gentiles on the other hand. That's how the world's responding. And if you were in that church, maybe you would say to Paul, Paul, so if that's how the people we're trying to reach, if that's how they see our message, it's foolishness, it's scandalous, it turns people off, shouldn't we just change it? Shouldn't we just find a more, uh, a more palatable way so that people will be drawn to us? And Paul responds in verse 24. You can see it on the screen. But he says, hold on. There are some who are being saved. There are some who are being called, and to those who are being saved, to those who are being called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ becomes for them and to them the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul's kind of doubling down, as you can tell. I know the Jews want a Messiah who displays power, majesty, not weakness. I know the Greeks are head over heels with their speculative philosophies and their, their, their focus on the newest and the latest ideas and the most outstanding thinkers and preachers, and they look down on others who have boring, moronic messages. But I want you to hold on to the message and the method by which God saves people. So why the message of the cross? Paul says it, people are perishing. People are dying. People are poisoned by the death of sin. No part of human life is untouched. And I know that sounds pessimistic, but if we're going to hold to this message, we need to believe it, that no part of human life is untouched by the stain and the degradation of sin. As you walk with Jesus, you will learn not to trust your desires because your desires aren't always grounded in the reality of who Jesus is. 
As you walk with Jesus, you will learn not always to trust your plans because your plans can be out of sort with God's plan. We have a problem. And what saves us, what changes us, what helps us, it's the message of the cross. Why, why cling to that method? Because apart from God's initiative, and when, when I say God's initiative, what I mean is that we believe that God in Christ, God became one of us to save us and to change the world. That's God's initiative. We had nothing to do with it. We can't save ourselves. It's not possible to save ourselves. Our only hope, our only hope, my hope is built, your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's the power to change lives. So Paul says to the church, do you want to grow? Do you want to reach your culture? Do you want to change the world? Yes, 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 Paul. Then rally around the message of the cross. Stop worrying about these preachers. What are they? They're nothing but servants. Later on in chapter 3, he says, these servants are nothing but under rowers. And in a Roman galley ship, the lowest of the lowest, they take the slaves, chain them under the very bottom of the ship, and they are rowing the boat. Paul says, that's who we are. Stop making a big deal about the preachers and the pastors. They can't save the world. Rally around the message of the cross. Second thing he says, to heal their divisive nature, he says to them, celebrate the evidence the evidence, the evidence that the gospel is working is right here in this room. One of the reasons why we are taking time in the services on Sundays to have people share their stories, it's because we want to celebrate not the person. We want to celebrate, look at what God did in changing that person's life. Lifting up God. And so the marvel of the Corinthian church is how did God do it? How did this ethnically, socially diverse congregation change? I mean, they're already being criticized. They're already being mocked. They're being called morons for believing. And yet the evidence is there. Lives are being changed. And Paul says, consider your call. Consider your call. How did this church grow? How did this church grow in a culture that worships human wisdom and that vehemently despises the gospel of Jesus? And Paul gives the answer. It's the lives. It's the lives. It's the people. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You see, the church in Corinth, located near, near a, um, a shipping port, they attracted people from all over the world. And the church was attracting slaves, former slaves, poor, uneducated. Some wealthy people were in the church. You read the letter, you'll find that there were some people in the church who had means. They had homes in which the church could meet, but not many of them were like that. The vast majority of Christians for the past 2,000 years have not had platforms. 
They have not had fame. They were not celebrities. They were just ordinary people, ordinary people. That's how God has grown his church, ordinary people who are healing and blessing and restoring and pointing people to the goodness and the grace of God. And so in verse 27, Paul gives the credit to God, and he says, God did it, guys. God chose, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the so-called wise. And here he is, he's jabbing at the culture, the Corinthian love affair with philosophy and with wisdom and eloquence. God chose, God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak, weak. And in the gospel, you see the so-called weakness of Jesus dying on a cross. But God chose that method to shame the so-called strong. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised. The things that are not. The things that we consider useless and nothing. God chose people like me, people like you, to showcase his power and his glory. And God does it, Paul says in verse 28, so that no one, 29, so that no one might boast. And that's, that's the whole point, right? As human beings, we like to hear those stories so we could say, yay. But God does it so that no one might boast in the presence of God. No one can say, we did it. We figured it out. We cracked the code. No one can say, look, you want your church to grow? Just follow our program. We figured it out. You're going to be successful if you do what we do. No, Paul says. God, he says in verse 30, is the source of your life in Jesus Christ who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And then he closes by saying, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You know, last week, I went upstairs to the second floor. I can't remember what I was doing, and I went into room two, 206, and there was this big white board that was there, and on it I saw those letters scribbled. And I, when I first saw it, I said, oh, greatest of all time. You know, because when I see it, maybe many of us, when we see those letters, we assume it means greatest of all time. We think of people like Mario Lemieux, we think of people like MJ, the great Michael Jordan, and we say he's the greatest to ever lace it up and, and play the game of basketball and, you know, those kinds of things. Wayne Gretzky. But then scribbled beneath goat were the words, God over all things. And I thought, wow, that's, that is so true. That's what it's all about. It's God over all things. That's the message. Do we trust the world's logic for how to navigate life, how to navigate church, or do we trust God's logic that God is over all things? Trust in God's wisdom. That's the question. This is a beautiful quote. And this is really what it means to consider your call. The giant step in the walk of faith 
is the one we take. We all have to get there. That, that song, My Soul's Desire, that's why it speaks to me so much. The giant step in the walk of faith is the one we take when we decide that God is no longer just a piece of my life, a part of my life, a, a segment, sort of a Sunday segment, but God is my life. God is our life. And I think that's what Paul wants the church to see. It's the power of God and the wisdom of God, your sanctification, your righteousness, your life. So I ask you this morning to consider your call. Don't just be a Sunday Christian. It's time to be done with that. Don't be a cultural Christian. It's time to be done with that. God has called you, you with your ordinary life, you with, with, with all that you're doing with your life. God has called you. That's why you're here. That's why you live. And what I've been doing, and I, maybe you could do the same with me, I've just been asking God, Lord, teach me. Give me wisdom want to know you through the scriptures. I want to serve you in all the ways that you want me to serve you. And if Paul is correct, and I believe he is, some will say, this is not for me. This is foolishness, and that's okay. We're not in the business of trying to be all things to all people. Some will walk away, but there are others who will believe. They'll run to him, and they'll say, he is the source of my life. He's God over all things. And I pray that we have leaders in our church, and I pray that at the, the, the membership of First Prayers, we'll say, God, we want you to reign supreme over all things over my life. You're sovereign. There's not a square inch of this world and my life where you aren't declaring mine. And that, did it heal their divisions? We don't know. But that is the message for us today. Consider your call. Consider God's methods. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. <laughs>